Chapter 22 of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 3, by Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 22. That the severity of Manlius Torcatus and the gentleness of Valerius Corvinus won for both the same glory. There lived in Rome, at the same time, two excellent captains, Manlius Torcatus and Valerius Corvinus, equal in their triumphs and in their renown, and in the valor which, in obtaining these, they had displayed against the enemy but who in the conduct of their armies and treatment of their soldiers followed very different methods for manlius in his command resorted to every kind of severity never sparing his men fatigue nor remitting punishment while valerius on the contrary treated them with all kindness and consideration and was easy and familiar in his intercourse with them so that while the one, to secure the obedience of his soldiers, put his own son to death, the other never dealt harshly with any man. Yet, for all this diversity in their modes of acting, each had the same success against the enemy, and each obtained the same advantages both for the Republic and for himself. For no soldier of theirs ever flinched in battle, or rose in mutiny against them, or in any particular opposed their will though the commands of manlius were of such severity that any order of excessive rigor came to be spoken of as a manlian order here then we have to consider first of all why manlius was obliged to use such severity next why valerius could behave so humanely thirdly how it was that these opposite methods had the same results, and lastly, which of the two methods it is better and more useful for us to follow. Now, if we well examine the character of Manlius from the moment when Titus Livius first begins to make mention of him, we shall find him to have been endowed with a rare vigor both of mind and body, dutiful in his behavior to his father and to his country, and most reverent to his superiors all which we see in his slaying the gaul in his defence of his father against the tribune and in the words in which before going forth to fight the gaul he addressed the consul when he said although assured of victory never will i without thy bidding engage an enemy but when such a man as this attains to command he looks to find all others like himself his dauntless spirit prompts him to engage in daring enterprises and to insist on their being carried out and this is certain that where things hard to execute are ordered to be done the order must be enforced with sternness since otherwise it will be disobeyed and here be it noted that if you would be obeyed you must know how to command and that they alone have this knowledge who have measured their power to enforce with the willingness of others to yield obedience and 
who issue their orders when they find these conditions combining, but otherwise abstain. Wherefore a wise man was wont to say that to hold a republic by force there must be a proportion between him who uses the force and him against whom it is used, and that while this proportion obtains, the force will operate, but that when he who suffers is stronger than he who uses the force, we may expect to see it brought to an end at any moment. But returning to the matter in hand, I say that to command things hard of execution requires hardness in him who gives the command, and that a man of this temper, and who issues such commands, cannot look to enforce them by gentleness. He who is not of such a temper must be careful not to impose tasks of extraordinary difficulty, but may use his natural gentleness in imposing such as are ordinary. For common punishments are not imputed to the prince, but to the laws and ordinances which he has to administer. We must believe, therefore, that Manlius was constrained to act with severity by the unusual character of the commands which his natural disposition prompted him to issue. Such commands are useful in a republic as restoring its ordinances to their original efficacy and excellence, and were a republic, as I have before observed, fortunate enough to come frequently under the influence of men who by their example reinforce its laws and not only retard its progress towards corruption but bring it back to its first perfection it might endure for ever anlaeus therefore was of those who by the severity of their commands maintained the military discipline of rome urged thereto in the first place by his natural temper and next by the desire that whatever he was minded to command should be done valerius on the other hand could afford to act humanely because for him it was enough if all were done which in a roman army it was customary to do and since the customs of that army were good customs they sufficed to gain him honour while at the same time their maintenance cost him no effort nor threw on him the burthen of punishing transgressors as well because there were none who transgressed as because had there been any they would as i have said have imputed their punishment to the ordinary rules of discipline and not to the severity of their commander in this way valerius had room to exercise that humane disposition which enabled him at once to gain influence over his soldiers and to content them hence it was that both these captains obtaining the same obedience could while following different methods arrive at the same ends those however who seek to imitate them may chance to fall into the errors of which i have already spoken in connection with hannibal and scipio as breeding contempt or hatred and which are only to be corrected by the presence of extraordinary valour and not otherwise it rests now to determine which of these two methods is the more to be commended. This, I take it, is matter of dispute, since both methods have their advocates. Those writers, however, who have laid down rules for the conduct of princes, describe a character approaching more nearly to that of Valerius than to that of Manlius. 
and xenophon whom i have already cited while giving many instances of the humanity of cyrus conforms closely to what livius tells us of valerius for valerius being made consul against the samnites on the eve of battle spoke to his men with the same kindliness with which he always treated them and livius after telling us what he said remarks of him never was there a leader more familiar with his men cheerfully sharing with the meanest among them every hardship and fatigue even in the military games wherein those of the same rank were wont to make trial of their strength or swiftness he would good-naturedly take a part nor disdain any adversary who offered meeting victory or defeat with an unruffled temper and an unchanged countenance when called on to act his bounty and generosity never fell short when he had to speak he was as mindful of the feelings of others as of his own dignity and what more than anything else secures the popular favor he maintained when exercising his magistracies the same bearing he had worn in seeking them of manlius also titus livius speaks in like honorable terms pointing out that his severity in putting his son to death brought the roman army to that pitch of discipline which enabled it to prevail against the latins nay he goes so far in his praises that after describing the whole order of the battle comparing the strength of both armies and showing all the dangers the romans ran and the difficulties they had to surmount he winds up by saying that it was the valor of manlius which alone gained for them this great victory and that whichever side had manlius for its leader must have won the day so that weighing all that the historians tell us of these two captains it might be difficult to decide between them nevertheless not to leave the question entirely open i say that for a citizen living under a republic i think the conduct of manlius more deserving of praise and less dangerous in its consequences for methods like his tend only to the public good and in no way subserve private ends he who shows himself harsh and stern at all times and to all men alike and is seen to care only for the common welfare will never gain himself partisans since this is not the way to win personal friends to whom as i said before the name of partisans is given for a republic therefore no line of conduct could be more useful or more to be desired than this because in following it the public interest is not neglected and no room is given to suspect personal ambition but the contrary holds as to the methods followed by valerius for though the public service they render be the same misgivings must needs arise that the personal good will which in the course of a prolonged command a captain obtains from his soldiers may lead to consequences fatal to the public liberty and if this was not found to happen in the case of valerius it was because the minds of the roman people were not yet corrupted and because they had never remained for a long time and continuously under his command 
had we however like xenophon to consider what is most for the interest of a prince we should have to give up manlius and hold by valerius for undoubtedly a prince should strive to gain the love of his soldiers and subjects as well as their obedience the latter he can secure by discipline and by his reputation for valor but for the former he will be indebted to his affability kindliness gentleness and all those other like qualities which were possessed by valerius and which are described by xenophon as existing in cyrus that a prince should be personally loved and have his army wholly devoted to him is consistent with the character of his government but that this should happen to a person of private station does not consist with his position as a citizen who has to live in conformity with the laws and in subordination to the magistrates we read in the early annals of the venetian republic that once on the return of the fleet a dispute broke out between the sailors and the people resulting in tumults and armed violence which neither the efforts of the public officers the respect felt for particular citizens nor the authority of the magistrates could quell but on a certain gentleman who the year before had been in command of these sailors showing himself among them straightway from the love they bore him they submitted to his authority and withdrew from the fray which deference on their part aroused such jealousy and suspicion in the minds of the venetian senators that very soon after they got rid of this gentleman either by death or exile the sum of the matter therefore is that the methods followed by valerius are useful in a prince but pernicious in a private citizen both for his country and for himself for his country because such methods pave the way to a tyranny for himself because his fellow-citizens growing suspicious of his conduct are constrained to protect themselves to his hurt and conversely i maintain that the methods of manlius while hurtful in a prince are useful in a citizen and in the highest degree for his country and moreover seldom give offence unless the hatred caused by his severity be augmented by the jealousy which the fame of his other virtues inspires a matter now to be considered in connection with the banishment of camillus end of chapter twenty two recording by linda johnson